You're listening to episode 28 of Ask Saltspring Answered when we talk to Adam Olson, our MLA, the MLA for uh, North Saanich and the Islands, uh, about why he, as the Green Party member, was opposed to the NDP's housing policy. Okay, I'm here with Adam Olson, who is the MLA for the Green Party for Saanich North and the Islands. Hello, Adam, nice to see you. Yeah, it's great to be back again. Yep, and uh, we've been at Ask Salt Spring this morning. It was a pretty uh, intense discussion, I think, um, mostly about uh, housing policy. And you had spent, it sounds like, a very grueling time uh, during debate on the the Bill uh, 44, where you were disparaging about the... Uh, NDP government's moves with regards to um, their response to the uh, housing crisis or the affordability crisis, as you as you pointed out. Tell us a bit about why you felt uh, that you couldn't support that bill. Well, I think first it's important to we, we talked to almost exclusively exclusively about Bill Forty Four today at, at Ask Salt Spring. Uh, however, uh, one of the biggest challenges that I faced was that in the last couple of weeks of this fall session, we actually had five or six housing bills, separate bills. So the government had chosen, the BCNDP government chose to fragment their housing policy into a bunch of different bills, which made it nearly impossible for legislators to actually be able to debate a coherent housing policy. You know, all of the, all of the policies that we face are interconnected when it comes to housing. And so um, by fragmenting it out, it made it very difficult for the public to understand what was going on, and it made it very difficult for legislators to be able to debate what is needing to be a coherent housing policy. Bill 44, um, I guess the best way that I can summarize it is to say that it's solving a problem that doesn't exist, or it's solving it's, it's providing most of the solution to a problem that's not the most acute part of the housing needs that we have. It has been very clearly identified by communities right across this province that we have a core housing need, meaning housing, there, there is a, a 30% of the population, roughly, who are experiencing insecure, inadequate, or unaffordable housing, meaning they're spending more than 30% of their annual income on housing. We've got a growing population of people experiencing extreme core housing need, meaning they're spending more than 50% of their annual income. This is very, very troubling, both from an individual perspective, those uh, folks that are having to pay that, and also from a societal perspective because the federal and provincial governments have not been building the social safety net in terms of social housing or non-market housing that can catch those people if they can no longer afford housing in the, in the for-profit housing market. So my biggest issue is the BC NDP government chose to build exclusively more supply of market housing when clearly what housing needs assessments and you know what the statistics are showing is that we need uh, non-market housing and we need the provincial government to be keenly focused on that. Yeah, and um, a couple of things you said which I thought were, uh, were interesting, um, that this was a blanket policy that all houses are created equal. And that, yeah, all um, housing supply. Yeah, and that the all housing supply is good supply, when a, but then only 10% of that housing supply is going towards any kind of um, non-market or affordable housing, right? I pressed the minister 
relentlessly on putting affordability measures into Bill 44. And what he repeatedly responded with over and over and over again was that it's been shown in Vancouver that if you require uh, these units to be affordable, that the market won't build them. Essentially, I'm, I'm not sure if he was trying to prove my point, but that's essentially what he was doing. My, my point was that unless the provincial government intervenes, the housing market, which is a, generally about creating wealth, will continue to do what it's always been doing, which is to create the industry that produces it, wealth. You need an intervention to produce housing that is outside the market for those that cannot afford housing in the market. And that's primarily the role of the provincial government. And funding comes from the federal government. Some policy comes from the federal government. But mostly, that's the provincial government's realm. And so we've, we've got this scenario where the, the BCNDP, um, it's, a, it's a curiosity to me that the BCNDP government turns to the market and says, do something that you're not designed to do create affordable housing. That's not how the housing market is designed. It's, it's, not, it's not the expectations that people who are in the housing market have. It, it has been significantly financialized. And so the way that we're going to produce housing affordability is to produce housing that's outside of that system. We need a system that is based on providing security and safety for people so that they can afford housing at the level that they need that housing to be at. And so, um, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't have, uh, th this is not a cri criticism of the development sector. And, you know, that's what needs to be made very clear. This is not a, a criticism of the real estate development sector. That's the system that the provincial and federal governments have created. They're operating in that system, right? And so, this is a systemic problem that lands at the feet of the federal and provincial government. I'm in the provincial government. And so when the province comes back and says, we're going to expect a system that is designed to produce wealth to all of a sudden produce affordability, you get what you get, right? Which is 10% of, uh, of these units that are being built by the, by the market can be affordable, but it's very difficult to get any more than 10%. So the government needs to intervene, and and my key focus on 44 was de design those programs, do the scale and scope focused on the, the core housing need rather than continuing to create more market housing, which will only be built when profit can be generated. All right. Now, um, part of this bill was to basically increase density on, on single lots, right? Uh, yeah. But, of course, it doesn't apply to Salt Spring. Now, uh, you did sort of explain it, but perhaps you could explain again uh, mm -hmm. that, that while you were, uh, on the one hand, not supporting the, the bill, on the other hand, you moved an amendment to have Salt Spring included in the bill, which some people might find a bit confusing, but uh, perhaps you can tell me your thinking on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's important to acknowledge that I always operate in legislation when I move an amendment I have to be, you know, I have to be confident that that if they pass it, I'm okay with that outcome. Meaning, I'm not playing games in there. I'm not. It's not a. I'm not gambling that I can, you know, make a political move to to say to Salt Spring, look, I'm trying to, 
trying to help you out or to, to the Islands Trust who made the request that Salt Spring be included in this bill. Um, I just fundamentally don't believe that the BC NDP's approach uh, that all supply, and you asked, you know, you, you stated that I, I made some statements at Ask Salt Spring here where all supply is not created equal. Supply, 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 supply is not the answer to housing. The supply that we need is the answer to the housing affordability crisis. We need to be more targeted. We need to be more strategic. We need to use the data and analytics that we have to make smart decisions about the housing that we need built. There's a narrative out there right now that all supply is good supply. And, and, and allowing for vast swaths of land to be upzoned in order to build more market housing that will be built when the people who are building it can make money off of it isn't solving the affordability crisis that we have. In fact, it might be driving it uh, the gap wider. So the Islands Trust sent a letter asking for Salt Spring to be included. This would have been, this would, there, there was also measures in the bill around secondary suites and accessory dwelling units. Um, I believe that one of the ways that uh, some of the housing affordability issues on Salt Spring can be uh, dealt with is through buildings that already exist. I think that's the most efficient way to to deal with a portion of the challenge that Salt Spring's facing because building new buildings is very challenging and there's real limitations to building new buildings. So looking to the buildings that already exist and seeing if there's a way to redistribute some of the space in there, to me, is a way for that, uh, a way forward in the short term. Um, and so I have a very strong uh, ethical perspective that when the people who are elected to deal with a certain issue, in this case, it's land use and it's the Islands Trust, make a request of their MLA to be included in something, despite what I might feel about the overall policy, I'll honor that. And and I have worked with the, the island. I mean, I've worked on this issue a long time. And it was not, you know, it was not an effort for me to, to try to confuse people or, you know, I, I knew that there was going to be some questions about it. But the reality of it is, is that there are aspects of this of this bill that Salt Spring wouldn't have been included, and you don't have an urban containment boundary, for an example. But so, you know, perhaps it would have been beneficial with the secondary suites and the uh, some of the accessory dwelling units that are already in existence in terms of making those available for people to live in. Uh, but when it comes to the broad scale re upzoning that that the provincial government did in more urban centers where there's urban containment boundaries, none of that would apply to Salt Spring. Right. And the amendment failed anyway, so, uh, right? It yeah, was, yeah. And, you know, and this is, the, this is the thing. I didn't move the amendment because I knew it was going to fail. I right. just want to be clear about that. Yeah, yeah. I moved the amendment knowing that the government could choose to either support it or not. So I had to be, I had to be convinced of the policy issue, at least as it stood initially. And so from that perspective, you know, I did my work in the legislature and, and I continue to work with the Islands Trust uh, Council, local council, to try to achieve um, uh, and support uh, the outcomes that they're targeting to. So where does that leave Salt Spring then? It leaves the Islands Trust uh, back where it started really as far as its own bylaws are concerned with, uh, with regards to secondary suites and, uh, and so on, right? Yeah, there's a, there definitely has been uh, the potential now for Salt Spring to uh, the, the, both the local governments, the CRD and the Islands Trust, 
to um, bring in some regulations around short-term vacation rentals. That happened this spring, this spring, this fall session. Um, but when it comes to Bill 44, which the government used closure to, to push through uh, the other legislation, um, Salt Spring is is not uh, applying in, or is Salt, Salt Spring is not impacted by that. Right. Now, as far as uh, we did discuss uh, briefly the uh, short-term vacation rentals, and um, we were talking about um, the CRD and and the Islands Trust are talking about uh, possibly bringing in some kind of licensing system. Um, and I think you said that the way it would work is that the CRD would bring in some kind of uh, business licensing scheme, and then the Islands Trust would bring in a bylaw around that that would then then be enforced on, on Salt Spring, right? Yeah, I think that's probably... So that's a in broad strokes Yeah, what I think needs to happen. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be the CRD that brings in the, the business licensing bylaw for the housing piece, though it, it might make sense that the CRD does it because the CRD has a has a business licensing model that they use in other, right. other parts of the right. region. Um, but basically what it does is it starts to allow us to be able to collect data to the number of units that exist, making sure that the units that exist are licensed and that um, the platforms won't be allowed to promote them or advertise them uh, if they don't have a business registration number. Uh, it allows us to, to collect some basic information and then determine the scale and scope of the problem going forward. Right. Okay, and we also talked about the encampment issue, the Drake Road uh, encampment and the people being moved on from there, and there were some people in the audience who were quite involved in that. Um, now, you talked about the fact that the city of Duncan has uh, created uh, the village, which is, a, I gather, a, a community of, of cabins in a parking lot that has some, you know, a community and support uh, washrooms, uh, presumably water and, and so on. And um, also, I think you said Port Alberni has one too at the Friendship Centre up there. What what would it take to get something like that on Salt Spring? I mean, is it is it a local government issue as opposed to a provincial government issue? Uh, um, well, it's it's a the the local governments or a local provider de, you know delivers the service, and what they need is a willing partner at the provincial government to do it, and. You know, we've, we've been trying to navigate this, or my colleague's been trying to navigate this in the Cowichan Valley and getting the provincial government behind it. Um, but currently it's a local government initiative up there. It's the, the mayor and council in Duncan have decided to move it forward. Um, I think the provincial government's got some more involvement uh, in the one uh, in, uh, in Port Alberni. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, one of the key issues, of course, is identifying some land. Um, and having a governing body that is um, able to uh, deliver the service or a, a, an organization that can deliver the service. Um, the outcomes that we've been hearing about from the village have been very positive. Lots of people have moved in, lots of people have moved through and gone from being unhoused to into housing permanently. And it's been a great transitionary tool. I think what it indicate what you know what it shows is that the response needs to be multifaceted. It needs to be multidimensional from the provincial government, and that is the thing that disappoints me the greatest about uh, Housing Minister K- Rabbi Kalin's 
approach is that the scale and scope of it has been so heavily weighted towards market housing when the provincial government needs to be focused on not on the market but on the other pieces. It's not that they won't be involved in the market. They absolutely will be. But they need to be focused on delivering the, the housing tenures that the market isn't providing and that the market hasn't proven willing to provide. And so that means, you know, putting in place responsible um, organizations for delivering housing uh, for the full continuum of needs in our communities. And that's from the, the totally unhoused people, people living on couches, the people living in their cars, all the way through to people who, are, who have a place but are paying more than, than is uh, suitable, or they have inadequate housing, or their housing is insecure for some reason, um, all the way through to high-end market housing. The provincial government has a role in all of those. And what I've been suggesting, what I continue to suggest to the housing minister, is that the focus should be much more heavily on the, uh, on the uh, supported non-market side of the equation. And in doing that, you actually free up the pressure to the development community in the, for, in, in the market housing piece. And I, and I think also ultimately it comes down to this. There's a lot of housing that needs to be built in order for us to catch up for the last 20 to 30 years of, of not building uh, non-market housing. And so everyone's going to be busy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that there's, this, there's this feeling that, um, that it's a threat. You know, talking about non-market housing or talking about providing social housing is, uh, is a threat to the development industry. No, 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 no. We need to be together. The, the YIMBYs, the NIMBYs, the whole, like all, the whole conversation needs to be together because what's at stake here is the health and well-being of individuals, our neighbors, friends, family, extended family, and our society. That's our communities, our regions, and the, the entire province. That's, that's really what's at stake here. And so for, for me, the government needs to be, uh, the provincial government, this BCNDP government, uh, I think they need to act much more like their former selves, frankly, which is, you know, this is the business that I'm surprised that, well, I'm surprised that they're, that I, you know, I'm here saying this about this government, perhaps. Uh, my expectation would be that they would have had this part right and it would have been, you know, maybe other parts of the housing market they would have got wrong. But that's not the case here. And, and we see a, a pretty remarkable shift in policy, a pretty remarkable shift they, they were a social democratic party, and a lot of their social democratic right. roots have been abandoned. And it seems like they're a pro-development party now. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I would say this again. I, I don't – I think that there's probably people in the de development community think that I've been uh, kicking their shins uh, too, too firmly the, the, these past couple of weeks. I don't – you know, I have nothing against the development community. I recognize the role that the builders play. I recognize that they need to be able to be profitable and that they need to be able to go and get capital from banks and the banks require a certain amount of profitability. I understand all of those things. And I just think that we should be giving them a choice. You're either, you know, joining us in, in building the, the non-market social housing that we need in our society or you're working in the in the market side of the equation that's fine like i said everybody's going to be busy but you know i'll just leave it at this 
our society made the determination that having um, access to health care was important. So we created a social uh, health care system for that. Having access to a good public education system was important to us. So we created a system, a public system, in order to support public education. We agreed that maybe having a, a, an, an insurance company that provides good quality insurance for people, that was important. So we created that system, right? And same with power and, and energy, uh, electricity, having a system that can deliver it to all British Columbians, that was important to us. I would suggest that one of the most important aspects of our society that we have not put a, a level of protection in is our housing system. And perhaps it's now time for us. And, and I've heard so many people say, well, when the federal and provincial governments got out of social housing, this is what happened. Well, we know what the problem is. Now let's get on with moving into the solution. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, of course, we're going off for our Christmas break, and uh, you are. Um, I think people were talking about the fears they had over the, the unhoused people, particularly at this time of year when it's cold out and they, they don't have a place to go warm up and whatever. Uh, what, how's it going to be for you over the next few weeks? Obviously, you're going to try and you know, have a little break and recharge your batteries and so on. Will you still be involved in, in that, that kind of stuff in, in the riding in terms of you know, getting, getting involved in looking after the folks who, are, who need the, the most help? I mean, it's, yeah. It's, you know, I, I just say this. I think that that's a, a part of the job that never stops. Um, it's a part of the it's it's all it always weighs on my mind the the recognition of the privilege that I have in life is is something that um, that uh, humbles me for sure and I think that uh, we'll continue to work through the holiday season we'll continue to work through the the you know the cold weather time and in, in ensuring as best as best as I can with the the powers that I have in my office or um, I don't always have access to the to the resources and the tools that we need in order to solve the problem, uh, but I'll strongly advocate for the community. I'll strongly advocate advocate for those uh, that need it. So I'm going to try to take some time off. That's that's for sure. Uh, but I recognize that there's that there's some pretty extreme need in the community right now, and um, I've committed. You know, I committed earlier today. To coming over here i'll probably be over here a few times throughout the month of december and early january meeting with various groups and and further understanding the challenges uh both at, at a community level and at a governance level and uh, i'm i'm fully engaged here on on salt spring it, like i said at the end of the it, it's an honor to represent this community it's not easy uh i don't expect it to be it would be boring if it was Salt Spring is a, it's an honor to represent uh, represent this community, and I look forward to through 2024 working with the community to to find solutions to some of these, you know, really really complex challenges. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, and uh, good to see you today. Have a good Christmas. And yeah, um, you're listening to Cheer FM. We've been uh, talking about Ask Salt Spring Answered. <laughs> 